0: Welcome to another episode of the Hendersonville Show. Today, I'm excited to bring you a conversation with Ryan Baker, director of the Sumner County Museum. For those who don't know, the Sumner County Museum is located in downtown Gallatin and features all sorts of artifacts from our county's history. Ryan has worked there since 2016, and during our conversation, we talk all about what this place has to offer and get into some really interesting Sumner County history. So without further ado, let's start the show. Ryan, welcome to the Hendersonville show. Thank you so much for being here today to kick things off. Can you just provide a brief background about yourself and the museum and what all you guys are doing over there?
1: So, yeah, I'm the executive director of the Sumner County museum. I am a Gallatin native. I've been here, um, all my life. I made it to, uh, as far as Murfreesboro for about four years. So, uh, really familiar with the area, um, Love calling Gallatin home and uh, really enjoying the um, my position at the museum.
0: Awesome, and and I know this is the Hendersonville show, and there might be a rivalry with Gallatin, but it's all Sumner County, so
1: we're, we can uh, we're all Sumner County. Yeah,
0: we're 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 taking it at the county level this time.
1: All right. Yeah, I have to remind people of that a lot. I'm like, we're not the Gallatin Museum; we're the Sumner County Museum, um, and you know the museum actually came to be back in the, the 1970s. And what I tell a lot of people is like, well, you know, how did the museum get started? Where, you know, how did, how did it come about? And really the story's kind of funny. Um, there's a local businessman uh, named John Garrett and he and his father started Garrett Brothers Concrete uh, back in the 1950s. Uh, it's still a family owned and operated business, although it's spread all over uh, Middle Tennessee. Um, but John was just an avid collector. Antiques, uh, Native American artifacts. If it was old he and he could get his hands on it, he collected it. Um, and so really basically what happened, I think, is that John and there was another gentleman named um, Robert Ramsey, who if you're familiar with uh, Ramcraft Clock Company, uh, which was located here in Gallatin, um, he owned that. And I think between the two of them, they had collected uh, so many artifacts, um, their wives basically were like, hey, you've got to do something with this stuff. It can't keep piling up, um, you know, around the house or wherever. So I feel like the museum has actually came from that. And um, so the museum itself uh, was um, chartered in 1975. And it is located on the grounds of Trousdale place and Trousdale place uh, was the home to governor William Trousdale. So we actually, we have a governor's home here in Gallatin. It's just a couple blocks from the square uh, right across the street from uh, what used to be the old dairy queen. It's now um, a donut, donut shop. shop.
0: Right. That's yeah. Donuts, I believe
1: that's right. So the museum is actually behind Trousdale place. We share the same address. So there is some confusion. A lot of people think, oh yeah you know the we passed the museum it's in that old house right there um across from the donut so I'm, I'm like actually we're in the building behind that but we are um on the same property so uh the museum itself it opened in 1981 it's consists of uh three floors a lot of people come in they see the main floor and they're like oh wow y'all have got so much stuff this place is great and i'm like well actually there's there's a There's a second floor and a basement and people are just kind of stunned. They're like, wait, there's more. Uh, But yeah, so the museum, it's about uh, the building itself is about 10,000 square feet. And Brandon, we are full. Um, We have got uh, thousands and thousands of artifacts. It's an artifact heavy museum, but there's a lot of great stories that go along with um, those artifacts. Uh, We have now go ahead.
0: Well, I, I was just going to ask, so you mentioned the, the uh, Garrett who founded it um, would just collect all these artifacts. I assume a lot of this is his original collection. And then once the museum got chartered, you guys just started getting, you know, donations or whatever it might be. Is that, is that a fair assessment? Cause looking on, you know, if you look through there, you guys have cars and world war two stuff and it, everything. So um,
1: everything. Yeah. That, that is a fair assessment. Um, John actually, so he had this really great Native American collection that he had in a cabin off of, uh, Douglas Bend somewhere. I've, I've never been there, but before the museum opened, he would actually take school groups out there and show them collect the collection, give them some of the history of Sumner County, um, and his collection there. So yeah, a lot of what's in the museum was his collection. We actually have, um, his, uh, old hut mobile uh it's a little convertible car i think it's a 1908 hut mobile um and it's in the basement it's got gas powered headlamps really unique piece but yeah a lot of a lot of it was his collection and then sure we've had uh, donations roll in over the last 30 years uh, we've got a storage room that's full of stuff that um hasn't even made it on display yet
0: that, that's awesome yeah and it, so you mentioned there's three floors can you just provide like a quick overview of how those floors are broken out because it it's kind of laid out differently uh, from what i understand um based on how sure. you know where things are
1: yeah, i'd be glad to the uh so it's um to give a little bit of the backstory the museum has been mostly operated through its existence uh, solely by volunteers. Um, so all of the exhibits that are set up um, mostly were um, done by uh, a volunteer curator and it's set up in chronological order. So it starts out with some like fossils and geos and old rocks and um, then goes into the Native American collection. Uh, there's a long uh, long hunter exhibit, we have a blacksmithing shop, a tinsmithing shop, gunsmithing, textiles, information about the old courthouse in Gallatin, um, entertainment. So like the Old Palace Theater, um, some other theaters, uh, the Roxy that was also um, downtown. And then it, uh, once you go upstairs, we have artifacts and exhibits related to the Civil War. Uh, World War One to Vietnam um, and then we have artifacts related to communication technology uh, what the inside of a home would have looked like in like the 1840s or 50s um, how they prepared meals and farmed and uh, then once you go downstairs there is um, that's where all of our vehicles are housed we have uh, Gallatin's first uh, pump fire engine and so wow. the number one question I get when leading tours is how did you guys get this stuff down here so you'll actually have to come out and see and I'll, I'll show you how the, that is a great how, question how we, how we got everything down there but um, then we've got like a world war one truck we've got a model a model t um, we actually have the sign from the old drive-in movie theater which would have been Located uh, right about where the Sumner Bank and Trust is, right over by the Lowe's uh, okay. across from Ball State um, there. So we still have that neon sign. It still works. Pretty cool. Uh, and then we have uh, farming um, tools and an old tractor and just all sorts of different things uh, related to agriculture and, uh, down in the basement. And then when you come back up, the last... Exhibit is on uh, some of the music history of Sumner County.
0: Which there's there's certainly a lot with Johnny Cash and, and others having lived.
1: Right. Randy's Record Shop, uh, the Oak Ridge Boys, just to name um, a little bit of that history. I will say you did mention um, something, some history related to Sumner County. And one rainy day at the museum, I decided to just go upstairs and go through the storage room and I was looking and I found a little just cardboard box and it said Buffalo balloon on it. Hmm. I wonder what that is. So pulled it out and inside of this box are newspaper articles and artifacts related to what was the world's first airmail delivery. And who would have known, but the world's first airmail delivery was made from Nashville to Gallatin and I think it was 18, 1877. And it was via, via hot air balloon. And it was this huge hot air balloon that was made and flown in Buffalo, New York. And what I couldn't figure out was why they brought it to Nashville and why deliver airmail. Still haven't figured that piece out. But what I did discover was that one of those letters that was postmarked Gallatin, June 18th, 1877 was actually on display in the Smithsonian Postal Museum in Washington, D.C. Hmm. And I also discovered that the stamps known as the Buffalo stamps or the first airmail stamp, um, which I don't have one of those. I wish I did. But one sold in auction years ago for around one hundred twenty five thousand dollars. Wow. I do have. So what they would do is they would actually tie a streamer to this mail. And basically, a crowd followed the balloon along as it flew over, and they literally dropped mail out of the balloon. And there was instructions written on the correspondence, once you found it, where, what to do with it. And so, they would actually put the envelope inside of another envelope, and it said, Message from the Buffalo Balloon. If found, please deliver to the nearest telegraph station. Um and then it had. Uh, we've also got one of the streamers that. Uh, Wait, was tied so I, to it. sorry,
0: sorry to interrupt, but I, I got to no. ask: Where I, I, I'm, I'm like baffled by this and, and intrigued at the same time. So they're just dropping mail out of this thing. Was there a, a drop zone, if you will, or w- they were it just dropping it? Hope someone finds it.
1: So they dropped it, and they would. I I think from what I can tell, basically it was a planned event. So people knew about it that it was going to happen, and so um, people were really kind of waiting. They knew what maybe what the expected flight path would be, and so this crowd just followed the balloon, and along the way they would just, you know, toss out <laughs> toss out <laughs> a piece of mail here and there. I'm not sure how many were dropped. I'm from what I've read, maybe three. Um, Pieces along that route then in one place i read and this is the only place that i read this so i don't know if it's accurate or not but it was like a newspaper clipping the balloon uh the next day so it stopped somewhere um in like Castellian springs um you know just a few minutes from downtown gallatin and right. then the next day they flew it again um going towards uh, Lafayette in Macon County and the article says that the balloon got hung up in some trees and was destroyed that's the only place I found that information though so I don't know how accurate <laughs> that is but um yeah right. just a really a funny unique who would have known they don't teach you this in schools um, or anything like that but um just a you know a cool discovery at the yeah, museum that
0: that is I, I'm baffled that they did that here. Um, yeah. I'm also wondering like what the, what the thought process was of the guy who up with that. And it's like, hey, let's fly a balloon and drop stuff.
1: And <laughs> the, even the, the logistics of bringing this balloon, I can't remember the dimensions of it off the top of my head, but it was a large hot air balloon. Um, it had like purple and gold stitching on it. It said Buffalo in huge letters. Like it was really nice. But there, were, there are accounts from where they flew it regularly in New York. So why they brought it here, why drop airmail, it still doesn't quite make sense. But it happened. Uh, we've got some uh, really old pictures of the balloon. And I also have a letter um, that kind of explains how these artifacts made it from the drop and ended up in the Sumner County Museum's possession. That's that's another story for another time, but um, interesting nonetheless. Nevertheless.
0: That, that is fascinating. I guess to shift gears a little, I'm curious if you could provide like a brief overview of the history of Sumner. I know there's a lot there, um, but it, it seems like really things started getting going in some of the 1700s, although you have the Native American history going back hundreds of years prior. But yeah, just curious your take, like what are the, what are the key milestones? What should people know? Uh, sure, about some-
1: so what a lot of people don't know is that uh, Sumner County was actually a county uh, before Tennessee even became a state. Um, this was actually part of North Carolina. And um, so in 1786, Sumner County was founded. Uh, in the state of North Carolina. And then 10 years later, 1796, Tennessee would become um, a state. And so... So that's back Summer when the County, states
0: were really long, like the East Coast states just kind of extended the right. West indefinitely. We should we should switch this up a little bit.
1: Sure. And so ten, what would become Tennessee at that time was actually considered the West. Um, and so... You know, 1796, Tennessee would become a state and uh, Sumner County would have been the second county in what would become Tennessee. So Davidson County was first, uh, followed uh, by Sumner County. And at that time, there were, um, you know, even before when the first uh, European, um, I'll say settlers or long hunters or explorers, um, when those Europeans were in this area, um, they started building like fort sites um, for places of refuge protection um, because they were coming into what would be middle Tennessee um, and hunting, um, collecting pelts, uh, animal skins, furs that they would trade back east. A lot of times would end up going back over uh, across the ocean to Europe. And then eventually they would, um, come hunt in this area three to six months. Um, then take a boat actually and go down to new Orleans, sell all of the pelts. They would buy commodities like sugar, coffee, flour, different things, sell the horse or sell the boat, buy a horse, and then travel back through Tennessee probably, uh, back into Virginia for the winter months hmm. and then come, uh, do it again the next year. Um, but they were, you know, fighting the elements, uh, they would be attacked by, um, Native Americans regularly. So, um, a lot was going on leading up to, um, the founding of Sumner County.
0: Definitely not an easy life to live. Do you know, like primarily where the, the people who ultimately, I guess, settled here? You mentioned a lot of European. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's primarily like Scottish descent.
1: Yeah, uh, a lot. I'm not really sure like exact numbers or percentages um, there, Uh, but like for Sumner County, there were um, so out in like Castellian Springs, there was there's a natural salt lick. It's actually right out in front of uh, Wynwood, which is the um, largest log structure. Built in the 1700s uh, in Tennessee, and um, another great story. Um, kind of a long story, but um, we have time. So the first the first person of European descent to plant a crop in what would become Tennessee, his name was Thomas Spencer, uh, also known as Bigfoot Spencer. Um, man of large stature, um, he was a long hunter. Um, The story goes that his footprint left such a large print in the dirt or in the mud that the Native Americans thought there was a almost giant person who was um, in the area. And um, there's a lot of folklore and stories that that go along with him. But one one accurate story that we do know is true uh, is that he was the first person of European descent to plant a crop in this area, but he also spent an entire winter inside of a hollowed out sycamore tree um, that would have been just a um, couple hundred yards of from where uh, Wynwood is located. Now the tree finally completely rotted, decayed, and was gone uh, by sometime in the 1950s, but there is a historic marker out there that talks a little bit about it, but um, he had accounts of, um, sometimes having to spend the entire day inside of the sycamore tree and um he would because he knew that there were indians hunting uh nearby and so that he could see them uh, but he had to he had to lay low um but what he decided to do he actually had a partner that would go with him um on these uh long hunting excursions and I, i don't know the what year it was but um this particular year he decided roughly
0: roughly when are we talking just to kind of place
1: it uh, mid mid to late 1700s so 60s 1760s, 1770s maybe somewhere in there gotcha um so before Sumner county was founded and um his partner well thomas spencer said hey i'm sticking it out i'm gonna stay here through the winter well his partner was like basically said good luck i'm going back to virginia And so, so he left him here. Um, And so, yeah, he spent that winter inside the sycamore tree, planted crops, um, all of that. Um, One, one funny story about him, kind of like the the folklore piece. Um, There was a time where, you know, I mentioned there were some fort sites in the area where explorers or long hunters could take refuge and stay and um, all of that. So he was at one of these fort sites I can't remember which one, but, um, he, he was, he was sleeping. I don't think he was feeling well. Um, and anyways, there were a couple of guys that were having like a quarrel or an argument and it, it woke, it woke Thomas up and he was, he was kind of, he was mad. So he went out there and once he determined which person was in the wrong, um, or that he, thought was in the wrong he went grabbed the guy by his uh collar of his shirt and his his britches and he tossed him clear over an eight-foot wooden fence and story is when the guy landed on the other side basically said hey if you don't mind throwing my horse over too i'll be on my (laughs) way um this guy's a beast the the stories about thomas fencer just a huge Huge man, large stature, and you
0: probably don't uh, notice, but like, do do we know how tall or how don't, big this guy is? There's probably
1: no record. I, I don't. I, if I was guessing, I would say the man was, you know, seven foot. Because um, you know, at that time, people were a little shorter, a little smaller. Um, Something of them, you know, he's probably seven foot, four hundred pounds. I, you know, but to be accurate, I can't say precisely. Um, but he would eventually, um, be tracked down and killed, uh, by native Americans. And if I, if I remember correctly, it's, uh, somewhere, um, close to, uh, like Springfield somewhere over in that area, a little West of, of Sumner County. Okay. Um,
0: that guy, yeah, he lived a heck of a life.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But, um, you know, there's, there's some other stories about him, but, um, Yeah. So a lot of history. Um, There were a lot of. uh,
0: Real quick, um, while we're on the subject of Bigfoot urge people, (laughs) have you heard of John Rogan?
1: Uh, Yeah. um, Bud Rogan. um, He was, uh, I believe at this time, he's still considered like the second tallest person. That is what um, Wikipedia says. That lived. Yeah. He was uh, um, was an African-American. Eight foot nine eight foot nine he had some type of uh disease or illness that um caused this uh, abnormally large growth but if i remember correctly at one point he was eight foot nine and he weighed maybe 115 120 pounds um we actually will talk about this with some of our events later but we've uh We have portrayed him in our Candlelight Cemetery tour that we do every year as one of the characters. But uh, the story goes that he was buried at an undisclosed site somewhere in Sumner County. And the family did so because um, they didn't want grave robbers to dig him up for science. Um, Interesting. So we we still
0: don't know where this where this guy's buried because i know i mean according to wikipedia which who knows uh born in hendersonville died you know late
1: 1800s he would um he actually he would so he would he had a little cart and he had a team of goats and he would get in this cart because he couldn't walk um and he would go to the train depot and he had pictures made of himself and he would sell pictures of himself to people who were coming and going on the train. And that's how he made his living and was able to, um, you know, survive and buy things like food and um, all of that. So, yeah, I know at one time he would have been like the tallest person. Um, but then I, th- I think now it's the would be the second. Yeah, thought of who knows. If,
0: if anyone's interested in this, I mean, there's a little bit of information on Wikipedia. There, there's a picture of him riding his cart with the goats uh, through through Gallatin. But yeah, it looks like that he's number two and that was surpassed maybe 30 years later.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I felt I remember going to the museum as a as a child. And I just have this memory of there being some information about him at the museum. Currently, there's not Um on display, but we do have plans to, to make that, um, addition at some point in the future. Gotcha.
0: What about, uh, d- during the civil war period? Cause I know there, there was a little bit of, you know, at least stuff going on in, in Sumner County, uh, during the time of the civil war. Can you speak to that? Uh, cause that was obviously a big period uh, in Tennessee history.
1: Sure. And there's, um, you know, there's two sides to every story. And in this, particular case there's the south side the north side and then probably the truth mm-hmm. um but it's always in the middle know, right so for uh, for gallatin um the union army occupied gallatin for a couple of years um there's a one of the actual museum properties the museum owns a historic home on east main street was used as a barracks for the union army And um, Gallatin was a key point because of the railroad. And if you go up 109, like you're going towards Portland, um, South Tunnel, I don't know if you've heard of that, but there's two train tunnels that go through the hills um, up on the ridge. And during the Civil War, this train line runs to Nashville, through Kentucky. So the Union was able to bring, they used it as, as a direct supply line. And that's a lot of the reason how they were able to um take Nashville so easily. So there were a lot of battles or maybe you should call them a skirmish between um the Confederate Army and the Union. So the Confederates were actually trying to disable these train tunnels and tracks to cut that supply line off Hmm. um and they were somewhat successful maybe once or twice but then the union would you know be able to get those back open Um, and so yeah there was actually a lot going on here there was a fort uh, called Fort Thomas which was right over off of uh, Blythe Street um, or Blythe Avenue right close to the downtown um, there's a there's a good diary um, Mary Shell, who uh, lived on East Main Street in Gallatin and it's her kind of account of those couple of years and what was going on and what was happening um, and I've I've heard stories that our our downtown square was the the home of, of more hangings um, than any other place uh, during the Civil War. There was a Union general uh, called General Payne, and um, that was his name. And um, okay. I guess he was a that's, he was a pain. <laughs> he was a pain in the uh, citizens of Gallatin's um, lives. But
0: so he he was a Union general occupying Mm -hmm. Gallatin. Now, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe, you know, because Tennessee was originally part of the union and they seceded, but wasn't wasn't Gallatin occupied by the union. And then I believe it was General Morgan with the Confederacy reoccupied all of that, you know, pre-Battle of Nashville. And that's when, I don't know if you know anything about that, if there was any battles or was everything was focused around Nashville and, and South.
1: Yeah, so General, yeah, John Hunt Morgan, um, and I think it was him and they were referred to as, his, uh, the Raiders. And yeah, to Raiders. Yeah. He, um, he just really was trying to disrupt and cause as much problem for the union as they were trying to cause here. Um, and yeah, he was one of the, um, key people in trying to, you know, destroy those lines. And then I think you are correct. I'm talking about, you know, taking Gallatin back for a short time but um there was the main battle of Gallatin and I'm, I'm pretty certain that um Morgan was involved with this as well would have taken place right up Hartsville Pike right uh, if you know where Sumner Regional Medical Center is mm-hmm. um from on the other side of the the road there going back towards like where the Gallatin and, football stadium is. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Like so across the street from Sonic that side and going back, um, towards like airport road. Um, that was where the, um, the main battle of Gallatin would have been. It wasn't a huge battle.
0: Not like um, Franklin. Like right. That, but... so,
1: yeah. Kind of small, smaller, um, deal. And then, you know, a lot of, uh, like the churches and even some of the homes, um, around East Main Street were used as uh, Union and Confederate uh, hospitals. Um, I know right now there's a historic house being re, um, redone on Hartswell Pike that um, was home to Johnny Maddox that um, there's still bloodstains kind of on the hardwood floors there that were from uh, when it was used as a hospital during the Civil War.
0: Yeah, I believe that just sold maybe a year or two. ago.
1: It did. It was bought um, by a local guy, uh, Chris Coker. He is remodeling that, um, doing a great job with it. And um, the house itself uh, is called Blythewood. And it was most recently owned by a man named Johnny Maddox. And Johnny Maddox was known as the king of ragtime. He was a, a piano player, ragtime piano. He learned to play piano uh, from his aunt, just pretty close to where the museum's at. And anyways, by the time he was 16, he was touring professionally all over the United States. Um, he's the only ragtime piano player with a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Um, he was uh, Dot Records' first recording artist, which is a whole other story. Um, But he uh, he he's played in every state except for two. He had about a 15 year uh, stint in Las Vegas um, and put out over like 200 albums of ragtime music. And when he passed away, um, there were around like 60,000 records in that home. And from what I understand, the world's largest collection of sheet music, which was actually donated to MTSU's music department um and now what was left of that record collection i think is now owned um by the comic book store uh on the square and they are for sale there so there's a little bit of that collection still intact um but yeah johnny passed away i think it was november of 2018 he's buried over in the uh, gallatin city cemetery behind wendy's
0: gotcha Funny, funny story before we, we bought our house right around the time. And I remember seeing that one on the market, w- wanted to go look at it. My wife's like, no way too much work, but so much history there. I I mean, it was, there was a lot of work required, but I, I think a fairly expensive home went for it. It
1: sold for 80,000,
0: 80,000.
1: Yeah. 80,000. Um, but beautiful
0: property needs some work.
1: Yeah. It'll probably sell for, I would say at least a half a million when he's finished with it.
0: <laughs> I, yeah. I would think so. Especially restoring. It.
1: Right. Right. But and so talking about the Battle of Gallatin, that so behind that house is pretty much where that battle took place. To give you a little more okay, you know, gotcha, kind of direction for that but.
0: eight fourteen Hartsville Pike, mm-hmm. I can add it on. Yeah. So Ryan, I, I want to be respectful of, of your time, and I know. There's some other stuff we want to talk about with the museum. We kind of talked about the lay of the land with actually coming to the museum, but I also want to ask about. You mentioned some like various that are part of it. So museum itself, you have Trailsdale Place. Is that affiliated with you guys at all, or what? No, is that is a
1: there? so that's a different um, different owner. Um, it uh, is operated by the Trailsdale Place Foundation, um, and they it it's not been open a lot in the past i don't know 10 years or so but they've got they've got some new life there and um i think you're going to see a lot of exciting opportunities events uh community um type of happenings going on with trials place so i'm excited about that i know they are as well um so we just you know we work with Trialsville place and coordinate some different happenings on that property but Like you mentioned, the museum actually uh, consists of uh, four different buildings. Now, we've talked about the museum. um, And just to let everybody know, it will be open back to regular hours uh, the first Saturday in April. So we generally close down January and February for the cold months um, just because it's an old poured concrete building. And when it was designed and built, it was intended to follow the other historic sites um, schedule. Like most of the other sites like Craigfont, Wynwood, Rosemont, some of the others, they typically close down during the winter months just because of the high cost of trying to heat. Uh, some of them don't have heat and air, but um, so that's why the museum's closed down. Um, and right now I'm actually talking to you from one of the other properties, which is historic Stonewall and Historic Stonewall, if you know where Captain D's or Arby's is at on East Main, just a couple blocks from the downtown square in Gallatin, Um, Stonewall was built in 1831 um, by a guy named Dr. Levi Ring. He was the headmaster of an all-boys school called Transmontania Academy, and yes, that was in Gallatin, and is actually the building is still standing and is located uh, behind Stonewall, um, on East Franklin street. And, um, but anyways, historic Stonewall built in 1831, um, pretty much been a residence throughout its existence, but, uh, John Garrett, museum founder bought it in the 1970s. It was his residence up until, um, he passed away in June of 18, 2018. I believe. Anyways, John uh, graciously donated the house to the museum uh, Hmm. before he passed and also raised some money to purchase another property, the carriage house, which the carriage house, I could throw a football from Stonewall's front porch and hit the carriage house. The carriage house is the large yellow building that sits right up on East Main right across from Captain D's there uh, built in 1838 or nine Um, so we've got those two historic properties and then behind directly behind the carriage house uh, is the old county maintenance garage built in the 1920s so Uh, County maintenance vehicles would have been serviced there. Um, It's just kind of like a warehouse looking structure. It's also just straight poured concrete. Uh, But anyways, John used it to manufacture uh, antique reproduction furniture. And he built hundreds and hundreds of pieces. We still have quite a few of his pieces in um, Stonewall itself. Uh, He was a great uh, craftsman. um, And, I doubt he ever sold a piece that he built. He would give them away to charities, nonprofits, so that they could auction them off to bring in money. Uh, there's also a lot of people that he was friends with or new people coming to the area that he built a piece for and just say, hey, come over. Uh, hey, I built this for you. Here's a you know an antique this or that. And um, so um, great guy, great businessman, philanthropist. Um, did a lot for the preservation of Sumner County, a lot of our historic sites, thanks to some of his efforts. But um, so, yeah, we've got all these wonderful assets and great and so opportunities. So those are, those
0: are places you can come tour, is that correct? Or are they just events?
1: So, so it, it's a it's a plethora of uses. Um, the historic Stonewall is available to tour. Right now, we're just doing that by appointment. Okay. Uh, so you could... You could email uh, myself, uh, ryan.baker, org, or call us at 615-451-3738. Schedule a time to come out and tour. But we do host um, some community events here on site, on the grounds. We have some open houses during the holidays and throughout the year. Um, but right now, I'll talk a little bit uh, briefly about the visioning for these properties. Um, we're going to be releasing those to the public on a large scale in May of this year. Okay. And, um, but just to give you an idea of what, where we're heading, um, historic Stonewall will be like a multi-use event space. So if you wanted to rent it for a birthday party, a reunion, a bridal shower, a tea, a wedding, um, any- thing along those lines we do offer that uh it's a really unique space um great for those types of events and we it's, also host, it's
0: basically you know for, for those who aren't familiar it, it's like an old old house essentially is what it is like colonial old style. house
1: set up like it would have been in like the 1840s 1850s okay and the um carriage house the well the, Let me give you one more bit of information we're working on. So for Stonewall, um, we're working on some plans that could include like Airbnb or uh, bed and breakfast. Um, We're working on those now. Um, The carriage house, the yellow building, it is um, right now it's been gutted out for the most part. It was apartments uh, for a long time. Uh, But like I said, it was used as a barracks for the Union Army. But prior to that, it was actually um, offices and living quarters for um, the Williamson Carriage Factory. And so there was a barn behind it where they actually manufactured carriages. So you could come and buy one and hook your horse up to it and, you know, go all over town. But. That we're working on, I'm not going to get too in-depth, but just a little teaser, uh, like an art and culture space um, that might incorporate some office space upstairs um, for some, you know, an additional revenue stream for the museum. Um, awesome. And then for the back warehouse, I'm just going to give you a hint. And that hint is prohibition. So I'll leave that at that. Ooh, more right. coming more coming later.
0: we put we, putting a speakeasy back there? I, I'm just, I'm just we'll, guessing. We'll, we'll
1: see. We'll see. I can't, I can't, I'm not going to say too much. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> um,
0: that, that's awesome. Now you mentioned uh, events and I know uh, you got someone else with you who, who is here to talk about it. So you guys put on a number of events throughout the year, but I, I'd love to hear about some of that stuff, including what's upcoming. So we're recording this early January, probably nothing for the immediate future, but come spring.
1: Yeah, Brent, I'm going to bring uh, Jessica Brelli on. Jessica is our marketing and events coordinator. And I'm going to let her tell you about an inaugural event that's going to be happening in May. Um, but Jessica, uh, she's here with us now. So I'm going to turn it over to her.
2: Hi, how's it going?
1: Great. How are you doing?
2: It's good. This is so exciting. Thank you so much for having us on. Absolutely. One of the things that I wanted to tell you about and it goes in with the vision that you guys were just discussing is we have this inaugural event coming up and it's catchy i think that you'll like this name it's pistols petals and pearls and so what we're going to be doing is historic elmwood do you know where that's at Uh, just outside of gallatin
0: i i've heard of it but i I don't know i'm pulling up google maps right now but i'll put it all in the show notes
2: It's a stunning property. And we've been working with the owners who've been so gracious with us to let us come and be on their grounds for this event. So we get to be out in the garden and it's gonna be the end of May. So that'll be great. It's gonna be sunshine, hopefully. um, And then lots of colors from the flowers in the garden. But what we'll have there is an opportunity to showcase some historic firearms from Sumner County um, and then also bring in some freshwater river pearls from Tennessee. Uh, We'll have live music. People will be able to have a drink in hand while they walk around the grounds. It's just gonna be a fun, bright, exciting event. And while we're there, we're gonna have the opportunity to share the vision of what's to come for the next 10 years at the museum. It's kind of what Ryan was talking about here with these buildings. I mean, we have these four properties and it's time now that we can make them into something that the community would really enjoy. And like he was saying, you know, we'll be able to uh, outline a little bit of that prohibition hint that he just dropped a little bit ago, um, along with some other vision that we have. And it'll be all right here in downtown.
0: That's awesome. And remind me again, when that's happening, do we have an exact date yet?
2: Yes, absolutely. So it'll be May 21st. It'll be a two o'clock event. So it'll be an afternoon. So people will still have the evening if they want to go out for more afterward. And awesome. it's great too. It happens to be Ryan's birthday. So you guys can, you know, come get a ticket, come enjoy a drink and celebrate Ryan while we're there.
0: That, that sounds great. I <laughs> I look forward to it.
2: Yes, absolutely. We would love to see you.
0: And so anything else on the docket? I know, you know, last year there was a number of different things going on. Um, Yeah, absolutely. We We
2: actually, we have our calendar up right now on the website. It's um, SumnerCountyMuseum.org, but we're, uh, we don't have the details posted just yet, but we do have a few events happening uh, behind historic Stonewall, like we've done in the past, and that's Songs and Stories, Um, and that is a great opportunity to come um, pull out your picnic blanket and enjoy some live music in the back. Uh, We've also got Second Saturdays. You wanna talk about that, Ryan?
1: So that's the referring to uh, what you were mentioning with the Songwriter Series. Yes. It'll be Second Saturdays in June, July, and August. And last year was the first year that we did that. We had a, a pretty good turnout, but we're looking forward to growing that this year. And um, we've actually got, so I don't know if you know, Jet Williams, um, which is Hank Williams' only daughter. She um, comes to all the events, but she also is the one coordinating um, the musical talent, the performers, the artists that are coming out and performing um, on site at Stonewall. So last year we had a great lineup. Uh, It was a lot of fun. Uh, but we're really looking forward to building on that this year um, and getting even more of the community involved. Awesome.
2: As things are opening back up, we're seeing more interest on people who are ready to get outside and get out and enjoy these kinds of events. And so we're going to continue on also with uh, the Music and Arts Festival in September. Do you want to give details on that?
1: Yeah. So last year, uh, we decided to celebrate all things Sumner County. Uh, we had a small music and arts festival on site. Uh, so behind Stonewall, we've actually got this beautiful courtyard, a nice green space. Uh, we had two stages and I think we had either five or six different um, groups come out and perform. It was a lot of fun, food trucks, um, artisan craft vendors. But the catch is they were all Sumner County, um, either residents or um, re- all Sumner County products. So we didn't let anybody come in from like Nashville or anywhere else. It was all things Sumner County. Um, And we had a lot of fun with it. We're working on our lineup uh, for this year. And so that's something we'll probably uh, roll out uh, around the time that the songs and stories get started. So the way it really works, you've got your second Saturdays in June, July, and August. And then that second Saturday in September Uh, is when we do the Music and Arts Fest. And
2: that takes us all the way back to October, where we have the Candlelight Cemetery Tour, which is the biggest event that we have held historically. And we're looking to bring back the Historic Haunts Bus Tour, which didn't get to happen in the last year, uh, but we are hoping to bring it back again this year.
0: Because for those who don't know, there's there's a ton of ghosts, allegedly.
2: (laughs) A ton of them uh, supposedly in the house that we're sitting in right now, too.
0: Have you guys seen any?
2: No, it was just a a raccoon one time came in, but that was it.
0: There's there's always a a legitimate explanation. But it's it's fun to imagine. (laughs) I I gotta ask, while we're on the subject, what what's the most haunted place in Sumner County, allegedly?
1: It's either the square or crackline, for sure.
0: What 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 about the like the square itself?
1: Yeah. Uh, so the Palace Theater, mm-hmm. um, along with uh, Chubb, where, uh, the building that Chubb's is in. Okay. Um, and then uh, a Swift's, uh, which is the burger place used to be the drugstore.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, so
1: it's it, and you can find some of this online. There's actually a really good book about all the uh, downtown hauntings um, in Gallatin. Um, but the uh, it's people are fairly certain that Mr. Roth, who was the owner of Roth's jewelry store, who started the Palace Theater, um, is still active and moving between those buildings regularly. Um, Talked to a lot of people who have had different types of experiences at some of these places. A lot of the ghost hunting groups have gone in, um, like the Palace, we've actually hosted them out here at Stonewall and the Carriage House. I know they've done Rosemont and Fawn and um, yeah, a lot of spooky stuff going on, but um, there's, I think, I can't remember the date, but I know we're, we will be the host of another ghost hunt. It's sometime in May. It's not the 21st, but it's another date <laughs> in May. There's um, other plans that some of the yes. local guys will be, be out. Busy. I know they sell tickets and it does um, benefit the museum as well. Um, but speaking of ghosts, I know Jessica mentioned the Candlelight Cemetery tour. So this year will actually be the 26th annual tour. And um, we portray eight to 10 people who are now called the Gallatin City Cemetery home. Um, We've portrayed, honestly, I think it's over 180, 200 different people over the uh, 25 years that this this has taken place. And uh, it starts during the daylight, but goes into the night. And we line the cemetery path with luminaries, and we have uh, someone portraying uh, that person at their uh, gravesite in it's full
2: costume. Full
1: costume, um, awesome. Hanging lanterns. Uh, it's not a ghost, a haunted yeah. house. It's it's history related, but you are in the cemetery after after dark, and uh, it is spooky. Um, we've actually, I had a volunteer show me a picture of what really looks like a spirit hanging out there in the cemetery during one of our tours. So I'll, I'll let you be the judge. Remind me to show you that when I, when we meet, um, but we have about, uh, every year about a thousand people come through and do the tour in one night. So it sells out. It's really popular. People come from all over. Uh, to do it i've had um, a lady come as far as washington dc before to take our cemetery tour so it's uh uh, you know a community favorite Uh, it happens to fall the same day as like our main street festival so main street festival ends around four or five cemetery tour starts at five so a lot of people just wander over and um yeah take the tour it lasted 45 minutes to an hour Uh, but it's a really unique way to learn some uh local history about the, uh, about the area, you know, stuff they don't teach us in, in, in school.
2: Yeah. So we have a full lineup of events this year and starting a couple of months before each of them is when tickets will be available and people can either look on the website or they can follow us on Facebook specifically, or we'll make sure to have that information available as we get closer.
0: Awesome. I love it. I'll, I'll link all that up in the show notes. I think, I think for sake of time, we won't nerd out on ghosts anymore, but Hey, maybe you guys can come <laughs> back <on. laughs> And it, like come on, you know September October and and talk about ghost stories. I don't know. It, it's fun stuff.
2: Yes, it well, certainly catches attention.
0: Yes, hundred yeah. percent. People
1: <laughs> will show up for ghosts. Oh, that's one thing that I've, Whether I've discovered. Whether they believe in them or not. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, is there anything else you guys would like to say? Just ask of the residents. I know. I mean, I I I just have to say, like, I appreciate what you guys do and. It's, it's so exciting that we have all of these resources about history and everything and the preservation in Sumner County because so many places don't have that and it just gets forgotten over time. So um, I love what you're doing, but is there any anything else you want to say, any asks of, of Sumner County residents?
1: So since you said that, here recently in the last couple of years, obviously our numbers were down because of COVID in 2020 and then um, like our school field trips have been down. We're trying to get those. That um, coming through regularly again. However, here recently, the trends that we've noticed are that most of the people coming to the museum are either from California, Chicago, or New York, and they're not just coming once, they're coming, and then when maybe more of their family moves here, or they have guests in town, they're bringing people back, and they're excited about the museum, and they leave, and they just... They can't believe that it's here in Gallatin and and what all we have there. So, you know, our message to uh, the residents of Sumner County are, you know, we've got this great asset right here. It's it's walkable from the square. Uh, So, you know, once it's springtime, if you're over um, getting some ice cream at the ice cream social or if you're out dining, uh, you know, for lunch or whatever, just looking for something to do, take a take, take an hour, come hang out. Uh, and learn a lot about uh, you know the local history here in Sumner County because you know a lot of people tell me all the time, well, you must know so much about Gallatin and Sumner County's history, and I say, well, you know I, I do know more than most, but most of what I've learned has has been from working at the museum because they don't teach us this in elementary school, middle school, high school, college. Like we're not learning about that. You know, you get a little Tennessee history. Uh, a little world history and, you know, some U.S. history, but um, there's a lot of, a lot of great information, a lot of great stories. And that's really what we're trying to do is tell those stories and let people connect to their roots, connect to the past. And um, yeah, so just challenge them to, you know, come out and, and visit the museum.
2: And the reality is, I mean, we're there almost every day and you still walk through and see new things or a new perspective, and so there's no there's no reason to not come again if you've been before, because the reality is you'll probably see something new anyway.
0: I mean, I I definitely intend and, and I said this before, I, I have not been there, um, admittedly, but I will definitely be back and want to take the kids and like it, it's a it's a whole family event. Uh, remind me again when when you open back up for the spring.
1: So right now, right now it's uh, open by appointment. So if you did want to schedule something with us, um, I mentioned, you know, my email, which is ryan.baker at org, or our phone number, uh, 615-451-3738. You can call and schedule a tour anytime. We'd be glad to open it up. But we do, uh, we kind of have a soft opening in March where we'll, there'll be a lot of activity. We'll be getting it ready for our, um, our kind of grand opening or uh, what's known as the historic sites kickoff, which is that first Saturday in April. And, um, we'll be open like 10 to two that day and then regularly, um, 10 to four Monday through Friday and some Saturdays, um, April through October.
0: Awesome. That sounds great. So starting here in a few months, uh, I'm looking forward to it. So Ryan, Jessica, thank you. Thank you both for your time. Thank you for all you do. And, um, yeah, this was great.
1: Really interesting.
2: Thank you so much fun.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Brandon. I really enjoyed being a guest on your show.
0: Thank you to everyone who tuned into this episode of the Hendersonville show. And thank you to Ryan Baker for speaking with me today. Admittedly, I've never been to the museum, but intend to visit as soon as they open up next month. And you should too, because history is awesome. Now I'd like to leave you with a quote from the famous author Aldous Huxley. That men do not learn very much from the lessons of history is the most important of all the lessons of history. Until next time, stay classy.